Hello, and welcome to Bite Back Chats Books. This episode, we chat to Will Hayward, author of Independent Nation, Should Wales Leave the UK? An award-winning journalist, Will is based in Wales and writes mainly for Wales online. Impartial and informed, his new book is an open-eyed look at the truths and falsehoods around the country's future. In an issue that will affect us all, Will raises the standards of debate, opening up valuable discussion for the whole nation. Hi, Will. Great to have you on this episode of Bite Back Chats Books with me, Nell Whitaker. And me, James Stevens. So today we're talking about your new book, Independent Nation, Should Wales Leave the UK? And what I think what makes Independent Nation particularly interesting is how accessible you make the very complex debate of independence. You delve into the central themes and intricacies at the heart of devolution, but also the identity and personal side to independence, uh, which you demonstrate in the book when you say how Wales needs a more self-assured and clear sense of its worth. What exactly made you come to this conclusion and what steps would you then take to bolster the Welsh sense of worth? Yeah, I think, I suppose an interesting way to look at this is the comparison between Wales and Scotland. So Scotland has always had a very clear sense of itself as a nation. So uh, Scotland decided to join the union. It was a financial decision based on weighing up of pros and cons. Wales, even though it wasn't essentially a Wales then, but Wales, uh, as we know it now, was conquered. Um, So the focus in Wales has always been on nation building, on safeguarding the language and building this idea of a Welsh nation. Whereas in Scotland, they've never felt the need to build that Scottish nation. So they're focused more on state building. So, you know, they've had the Bank of Scotland and, and institutions, um, which you, you see to make a state. Whereas in Wales, there was a real concerted effort in the latter half of the 18th um, and um, early um, the 19th and 20th century to create this Welsh state, you know, you built the National Museum in Wales, the National Library of Wales. And I think that still permeates into how elements of Wales kind of sees itself. So uh, Wales is, it's almost, despite being the oldest nation on the the islands in which we live, uh, it still seems like it's kind of working out what it's going to be when it grows up. And I think, I think a big part of, even though I'm not saying independence is the answer to this, but I think just having the discussion around independence, that reflects a a country and a a populace that has a a sense of self-confidence that it can, make informed decisions about where it wants to go as a nation. And that could be within the UK. That could be independent. Um, But I think it's a really important thing that just having the conversation is actually a very big step forward. Yes, exactly. And you use Scotland as an example and you compare to Scotland. Um, One of the big lessons of the Scottish referendum was how swiftly a panic Westminster government promised the package of changes. Uh, When at the last minute it looked like the independence campaign were going to lose the vote, and how swiftly Westminster's promise dissolved when the vote went that way. Now, do you think there's a risk of something similar happening with Wales? Uh, and what should independent supporters do if so? I think we, we'd, we'd have a long way to go before Westminster was panicking, making concessions for Wales. Um, yeah. I, think, I think we're a bit far off from that. Um, I, do, I do take the point, though. I think... Well, one of the uh, independent supporters I interviewed, real advocate for independence, uh, a real organiser of the movement, actually said that even if they don't achieve independence, it's it, there's something strong in saying 
having a reasonable debate about independence and being able to say to Westminster, well, we're quite reasonable, but have you seen these other guys? They're absolutely crazy. You don't want them to, um, you know, mm. give us a, an inch else they're going to try and take a mile. And that threat there is actually really useful. So although perhaps um, a lot of the things in the, I think it was when um, David Cameron and Nick Clegg and um, Ed Miliband made the vow to Scotland. Yeah. Um, I think uh, some people would say that that hasn't been fulfilled. But I mean, if you just have to look at the differences between how England, uh, how um, Scotland and Wales are treated within the union um, to see that actually that's made a big difference. It's the the, the threat of independence makes uh, changes how Scotland is treated within the union. So Wales, um, I, I use the example of rail in the, in the book. So uh, well, um, essentially any, project built in England, which is considered just a benefit to England, um, Wales gets essentially a, devol uh, a share through the Barnet formula. Scotland gets it automatically because Wales devolved. Um, but HS2, they've considered a England and Wales project, despite the fact there's no HS2 anywhere. Yeah, in, in, that, yeah exactly. It's just my favorite. And the argument is it needs to be an England and Wales project because um, there's going to be an interchange of crew, which will make it slightly faster for people in North Wales to get to London, um, which, I mean, Wales's proportion of that money would be five billion pounds, and that five billion pounds would fund the South Wales uh, Metro, the Swansea Bay Metro. It would connect Aberystwyth and Swansea, so you don't have to go via Shrewsbury to go from the west coast of Wales to Cardiff. Mm. Um, it would be a massive, and it would integrate lots of other lines in the north. But instead, no, we can get to London slightly quicker in a small part of Wales, and that would just not happen with Scotland. Like, there's a real strong argument that actually HS2 benefits Scotland much more than it does. Wales because a lot of all the nine lines run north to south but there's no way they would ever in a million years decide to classify as that as an England and Scotland project essentially because of that threat of independence yeah so I, I think it'd be really great if Wales got to the stage where we were talking about um will Westminster row back on its promises because it means it's made some promises we just haven't seen that yet uh with um with the relationship between um the UK as a whole and and Wales I think it is worth saying though that I don't think any union can survive if the threat of one part of it leaving is continuously hanging yeah. over the head of, yeah. of another part of it. I think that's a really unhealthy way to have a union. Um, it's essentially, uh, you know, you're married because neither of you can afford to be on your own or one of you can't afford to be yeah. on your own. That isn't, that isn't a great way to live. Um, but the union does have to keep proving itself to the concentric parts of that union. That includes England, because in many ways it doesn't work for England as well, um, especially well, large parts of England. So I think um, there needs to be uh, a clear thing in what the value of the union is, um, a clear indication, and this needs to be keep reinforced. But I don't think it's good to every single negotiation between a concentric part of the union and the wider union can't be, well, if you don't do that, we're leaving. Mm. Um, but I think it shows the point that we've got to at this point. It doesn't mean we can't get back to uh, a more cordial way of working. It just it needs an acknowledgement on all sides that there is a problem. I wanted to say, uh, ask a little bit about um, the relationship between England and Wales. I wanted to first say congratulations on writing a book about Welsh independence that doesn't mention no England doer, uh, which is, I, I think, um, you know, a, a rare feat. Although it does, um, it does contain a lot of history that um, that, that is incredibly relevant. Um, one of the uh, there's a mention in the book of, of Capel Kellyn 
um, which uh, has been in the news recently. It's a it's um, it's a Welsh village that was um, drowned to form a reservoir to supply Liverpool cities, uh, li- li- the city of Liverpool back in 1965. And effect- effectively, it was um, it was a stitch up between Liverpool City Council and uh, and the government in Westminster. I don't, I don't think Wales, not a single M- Welsh MP, had any any say in it. And so you had this Welsh uh, rural rural Welsh speaking community that was completely um, uh, you know shipped out and then their village was uh, was flooded and the remains actually um, have been visible during the heat wave because the reservoir has, has got so low but th- that seems to me reading your book to denote uh, a certain dismissiveness in the relationship uh, between um, England and Wales. Uh, at best, I think it could be called patronising. John Redwood, anyone? I think. I think <laughs> this is a very, the very funny part where you're talking about the fact that John Redwood was, was shipped in as Welsh secretary simply because John Major hated him, but had to find um, something to do with him. How, how does that relationship play out in the dynamics of Welsh independence? Yeah, I mean, that John Redwood thing is interesting, isn't it? Like the, the idea that there's nothing more humiliating than being told that you need to represent Wales. That is, <laughs> I mean, crying out loud, it's an area of the UK with some of the highest rates of poverty. It needs a, needs a strong and um, decisive governance, not the booby prize in a John Major cabinet. But anyway, I can understand historic grievances and I get them and I address them. But I think part of that growing up that we talked about is Wales looking forward and not looking at past injustices, but you can learn from them. It wasn't just the flooding in Chewellan that um, you mentioned, there's a few others. And to sum up, I think if you look at a lot of the articles from London-based media around those things, it, it caused a lot of anger in Wales because I, I think it might have been The Guardian or the um, might have described it as a, um, the discovery of a secret village. This secret village appeared, or this mm. hidden village. Whereas in Wales, like, well, actually, no, it was a it was a flooded village. It wasn't it wasn't a secret. Um, and there are real, still real sensitivities around that. And I mean, you could, and people have written books about those actual incidents. And there was some people in the area who were actually happy to take the compensation and go elsewhere. But it, it really has taken root in the heart of the independence movement. That idea that, um, I mean, the optics of flooding Welsh well overwhelmingly welsh speaking uh, village in order to send water to, to liverpool is quite um quite strong i mean the city of liverpool i think uh, issued an apology uh, in the early noughties about it um but yeah i think it's important to learn from these grievances and the fact that i mean one of, i mean one of the arguments against against independence is look at how poor wales is it never survived by england and the wider uk but you've got to remember wales has become this poor within wales within the within wider the uk exactly. you can't you can't so um there is an argument that well has has Westminster been a good custodian of wales and you can use that for predicting future behavior potentially but i i, I try not to just list every grievance possible but draw some lessons we can learn yeah. going forward because i think that's a, a healthier way to as we say grow and work out what we're going to do when we uh when we grow up but mm. yeah i mean you you can't escape it i mean um written in welsh uh, remember true ellen is is one of the signs of the independence movement it's on t-shirts it's on flags it's on stickers it's graffitis you see it all over the place it's um it, it's permeated within to the wider culture and almost gone beyond what it was at the time and it was a big deal at the time it was a really big deal at the time and not a single mm. welsh mp was asked, we, we voted for it, and yeah, it, it could happen. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it, it, it does matter, but I try to um, not see it as a, a grievance raising, but I just uh, let's um, let's try and learn from that. Yeah, and you were saying that 
you nearly summarise it in the book with saying, uh, well, you compare them to someone living in their 20s at home, but do you think you could see a midlife crisis slump uh, in the analogy if Wales were to move out too soon from home with England before building a strong enough foundation to fall back on? I mean, everyone's great warriors. Can Wales afford it? Yeah, I, I think I think it's interesting because I, I I always try in the book to to define it as the UK or Westminster <laughs> Wales. Yeah. I try not to say it as kind of an England Westminster thing because actually uh, England and Wales thing because. I think part of the problem with the current union is this idea of Englishness isn't able to actually become a thing of itself. Um, England and English people are most of the people within the union. And the the fact that Englishness is in many ways seen as just an extension of uh, kind of a bit of Britishness, I don't Mm. think is is actually very helpful for people uh, in England as well. Um, I mean, you probably, I I think I say in the book, if you saw a, a house covered in Welsh flags in Wales, you just think, oh yeah, it's in Wales, you know, it makes sense. If you see a flag covered in, you, in um, St George's crosses, you might have a preconception of the person that lives there as being a certain kind of person. And that's that's actually a real shame. That means that this idea of Englishness can't develop. And But um, going to back to your question with regard to, I think the, yeah, the analogy I used was um, if you're a, if you're Wales, you can, you can live, um, you can live at, like the union's like living at home when you've turned 18, you know, you, your, your fridge is full, you know, your bills are paid, but is that really in a way to aspire yeah. to live? Um, you know, is that a self-actualized life you're going to live? And it's a very simplistic analogy and actually in many ways it doesn't work. But I think if Wales, Wales needs to, um, if Wales, I think even the most staunch advocates of independence would acknowledge that actually Wales isn't um, in a position to be independent now. Um, of course, it could affording be. as in um, yeah, it, affording it, um, but also just like the logistics. It's um, I mean, it's not got um, the the Senate and the Welsh Parliament. It, it does what it does, but it, it's not really in a position to govern every facet of this country. Um, and that takes a. I mean, we saw how long Brexit took, and this uncoupling would take so so much longer so much longer it would be an order of magnitude more and we're, we're only really now feeling how the permutations of brexit so uh, i think and I, I i need to stress it i mean at no point do i kind of say yeah Wales should go independent um but I, I think having that conversation whether or not you want independence getting wales to a position that it could be independent it financially is a really is a is a good aim to have um i mean with quebec um we, I use that as a, an example. Quebec came incredibly close to voting to leave um, and has now kind of rode back from that because changes were made. So, but it, I think the threat of that made those changes happen. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think Wales could um, could feasibly look to leave successfully. I mean, it could, I mean, Wales could go independent tomorrow. It just probably wouldn't go very well. Um, and I say that at the very start of the book, it's not a question mm-hmm. of could Wales be independent. It's a question of should Wales be independent? Because that that question of should is an adult conversation about the future. Whereas that question of could, it just comes into, of course, Wales could. There's loads of smaller yeah. countries in Wales. Um, there's loads of poorer countries in Wales that are independent. It's just whether it's beneficial for the people who live there. Exactly. Well, at the risk of jumping the shark, you mentioned Brexit there, and I, I, I you know, I, I don't want to go too far ahead in the argument. I, you know, I think you, you sum that up by saying, you know, the book is very much about whether Wales should become independent. I mean, we, we know it could, but um, one of the facts in the book, I think I'm writing saying, is in the latest polls, um, they suggest that one in three people in Wales are in favour of independence, but um, even seven or eight years ago, that was one in 10. So 
Does Brexit play into that? And, and d- does that mean that a lot of people are supporting Welsh independence as a way of, of rejoining the EU membership or uh, rejoining the EU and the common market? Is that is, is that reading too much into things? Or um, No, no, I think that's a really accurate assessment. I think that you had the kind of died in the, the wall, Welsh wall, independent supporters who did it for years and years and years. Um, and for them... So for them, I would say that identity and um, this idea of Welshness is a, a bigger driving factor, not the only driving factor. But I think since 2016, the rise of Yes Cymru has been massively, and especially among younger people, driven by the decision uh, to leave the European Union. But So it wasn't just, I want to remain within the EU. It was what that signified in terms of the direction of the UK going forward from, from their point of view. Um so, I, I mean, I, I actually spend a, I was very much weighing up whether or not to even include analysis of whether an independent Wales could be within Europe, because it is for an independent Wales to decide that. And But because the motivating factor of so many people to support independence is because they want their EU membership back, I felt like I had to address that issue uh, with a chapter. And it, it's the, the problem is it's, it's a fallacy that if, if your aim is to rejoin the EU, Welsh independence is a ridiculous way to try and go about doing that. Apart from the fact, I mean, there's there's a whole list of reasons, um, but let's just let's just talk about, for instance, timeframes. Wales, if you wanted to get an independent Wales, um, realistically, you'd need Plaid Cymru to win a majority of the next um, set of election, which is in four years' time. Um, they indicated that they have an indicative referendum in the first one and then a full referendum in a second term. So you're looking 10 years ahead that that would happen. You then have that campaign. You then have, if it was successful, big if, if it's successful, you're then going to have a negotiation. Brexit was, uh, how many years was it? <laughs> Two years, three years? It felt like forever. But yeah. the, one, the uncoupling of the UK will be longer. And my God, does it need to be longer? Because that is a complicated thing. So you're looking at maybe another five years uh, minimum. So you're 15 years in the future already. You've then the idea that the first thing an independent Wales is going to do is try and join the EU is pretty, pretty crazy. Like you've got a lot of other stuff that you need to prioritize and you're going to have to hold a referendum. So that referendum, let's say another three or four years. So you vote and that say that referendum's a yes. We're now, what are we now? We're 14 years ahead? 14? No, no, we're... um, no, we've we've had the negotiation, so we're um we're we're now nineteen years ahead. We then apply to join. We then apply to join the EU. By this point, we've been out of the EU for almost two decades, so we are very potentially quite diverged in terms of standards, all of that stuff. Mm. Um, uh, so you've then got an accession process. Um, let's be really generous and say that takes five years. So we're looking twenty five years in the future. Like the EU that we will see then. Is very likely. It might not even be called the EU. I mean, 25 years ago, the EU, as we know it now, just didn't exist. Um, so if your route, if your motivation for independence is to join the EU, you are waiting a quarter of a century in order to achieve this. <laughs> and, and this might be worth it. I'm not saying it isn't worth it. I'm not saying it's not something you should pursue. But if that is your single motivating factor, it is a very, you are breaking up a country in order to join something which doesn't exist in its current form at the mm. moment. That is it. That, and that, that's just that puts aside all the ethical things about saying we want to leave um, the UK because it's democratic deficit. But we then want to give that newfound freedom to Brussels. That's a maybe you do. But that's a big that's a big question. And um, I, I'm sceptical about that as a driving factor. And I think it actually would be better to just look at Wales itself and how we improve. Mm. I, I do think that the, the European Union ship might have sailed. 
Well, we should probably mention the pandemic, shouldn't we? I mean, I, I, I should say I, I live just over the border from Wales. I live in the Forest of Dean, and we 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 watched um, you know, Mark Drakeford um, during the um, during the lockdowns, and we we kind of got the impression that uh, the Wales went its own way, which I think to some extent it did, um, and uh, it made it got a lot of the right a lot of its decisions right, um, and then you you sort of look at. Uh, it's, it's a pretty hackneyed example, but you look at, um, you know, the Welsh national team, uh, football team, uh, getting to the semi-finals of um, of the Euros in 2016. You look at stadiums where people, you know, people are stood singing the entire stadium singing "Ama Ahid," which is a Welsh speak a Welsh language patriotic song. Um, and there is a there is a confidence. There is some something's changed, hasn't it? What what's what what's happened here? Yeah, I think um, I think the pandemic awoke this kind of devolved consciousness. I mean, mm. devolution has been in Wales for over two decades, and we've just had the first elections where people can vote who have lived entire the entirety of their lives under devolution. Um, I mean, the the reason there's a perception that Wales went its own way and it went well is because that's the perception that the Welsh Labour government have desperately yeah. tried. Um, to, to great political advantage. Um, in terms of the pandemic, I mean, I, I covered every single Welsh government press conference and I could I could list off. I mean, I, I literally wrote a book on the failings that they did during doing that, that. I wouldn't say that they handled it great. I mean, there I, I think there's a lot of times you can point to better decision making in Wales than in England. But I, again, this just comes back to this juvenile thing of saying, oh, we did better than England. Like mm. that isn't to me, that isn't the 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 talk of a strong, confident, independent nation. And that is an independent nation in terms of separate from the UK. That's just a, like, you would say that the Scots are an independent nation uh, from the English. And I think for Wales to be a, a strong, independent nation, this idea that, oh, well, we, you know, there's this many dead, we let care homes go to, to hell and much, and handled care homes much worse than England, by the way. But don't worry, because overall we did better than England. Let's, let's not even do that comparison. Um, but yeah, there, there, there is. People are much more. There, there's a feeling that Wales can do things differently. Um, I mean, the the song that you were, you're speaking about, that's sung before Welsh um, Wales football games, um, it translates as "We are still here, despite everyone and everything. We are still here." I mean, that that's um, <laughs> that that is that is that says a lot, doesn't it? Um, this this kind of confidence and the fact that it's been sung not in like a Carmarthenshire pub, and it's been sung at an international football match of people who live many of whom live in kind of near the border uh, like in the east of wales like not welsh-speaking areas by any means not well not predominantly welsh-speaking areas by any means um yeah it it has there's been an awakening of this idea of welshness and that's a real opportunity and that doesn't have to be a threat to the union um at all um but it, it absolutely could be. Um, and we, we talked about polling. Um, I mean, Wales, the, the polling for support for independence, you know, people put it around 30%, but, you know, there's this idea of salience, isn't it? Because, I mean, most people want to reform the House of Lords, but they don't all vote Lib Dem. Um, you know, I, I think, but yeah, there's there's more of a confidence. I mean, young people are very confident in asserting their Welshness, um, much more than previous generations. I mean, I, I interviewed Hugh Edwards in the book who had family, who had friends whose parents were Welsh speakers but wouldn't teach their kids Welsh because they thought it would hold them back. I live mm. in Cardiff now, 
And I've got friends who literally move their um, English friends who move within the city to be in the catchment area for a Welsh speaking school. Uh, it's, it's a big, it's become, it's, there's been a big change and it, that isn't a genie that's going to go back in the bowl. And I hope it doesn't go back in the bowl because it, it's a good thing. No, that definitely is a good thing. And I think also a great way to round off our conversation. But we also have one question that we ask everyone that's not related to the book. Uh, if you could be any kitchen utensil, what kitchen <laughs> utensil do you think you would be? Oh, God. Um, I would be, oh, what would I be? Um, uh, I'd be a spatula. Why not? You'd be, be a spatula. spatula. What's, what's <laughs> your reason why? Well, you know, the book, the book was supposed to turn things over and look at things from all sides. And that's what spatula yeah, does. I like that. We'll, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. I'm, I'm, plus, I, I always think this, I think you use the spatula a disproportionate amount. But it's probably for me because I, I fry everything. <laughs> <laughs> very greasy diet. Um, well, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much chatting about your book, which is out on the 30th of August. Independent nation should Wales leave the UK. Um, thanks, Will. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bite Back podcast. Independent Nation, Should Wales Leave the UK, is available to buy now, online and in store. If you enjoyed this discussion, you might also be interested in our quick fire question and answer session with Will on our website. And do get in touch with us on Twitter with your questions or queries at Bite Back Pub.